Hey, welcome to another episode of Main Unstream, and I'm joined once again on the mic by Associate Professor Simon Michaud out of Finland. Simon, how are you, mate? Welcome. G'day. G'day, Paul. How you doing? Very well, my friend, and uh, great to have you back on the mic. Um, today, we're going to actually start a series. Everyone who's, you know, if you haven't, if you haven't seen the stuff from Simon before, I uh, highly recommend you check out, I think it's episode four and episode eight. Um, where we talked about um, the uh, global, the, the, the uh, lack of global resources, um, and specifically with regard to the renewable energy uh, sector, and that's a really interesting one. And we also cover off on the convenient omission and the inconvenient truth. And I think episode, I think it was episode eight, where we talked about the fragility of the financial system. Yes, and, correct. Yeah, yeah, and there was a lot. Simon has a lot of data which he. He shares in those uh, in those episodes, and I uh, I highly recommend you go and uh, check them out. But uh, today we're going to start off the number one of a small uh, small short series of uh, episodes which are focused around money and power and influence, because we want to look at what is happening now by looking at what's happened in the past and make some connections for people. So. Um, <clears throat> Without getting, without you know, if, again, if you want to more, know more about Simon, I'm going to be sharing some links in wherever you're seeing this on YouTube, on Rumble, uh, if we're still on YouTube, that is. <laughs> one, of, one of our shows got um, got temporarily censored on uh, on uh, on YouTube. Uh, Simon knows, uh, so Rumble, but uh, brand YouTube, bit shoot, whatever. Okay, so wherever you see that, we'll be sharing a link to find out more about Simon and how you can engage with him and um, get him to come and talk to your people about uh, any of these and other topics where he is expert in. Mate, I wanted to start off today. We've got a few topics I wanted to cover, and I wanted to start off today maybe with um, with the nature of money. Where does, um, you know, where does money come from and what is what is money? Because I don't, I don't believe that everybody really gets what money is. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, quite apart. So everyone talk. Everyone knows you know, the the folding stuff and the coins, and even if they pay digitally, they you know electronically with their their FPOS pass or their debit card, credit card, they they still think in terms of you know banknotes and coins, mm -hmm. and that's cash. Yeah. So you have got um, uh, money and currency, yeah, and so you you, you um, uh, so. M money is like a, um, a medium of exchange. It's like a decision system of who owns what, who owns what, and who gets what. Right? Yep. It's a, like a, it, we could be marooned on an island and we could use bottle caps instead. Yeah. Uh, but, but but my understanding of this is is back in the day before they actually had minted coins, everyone just went to the market and exchanged like this cartload of carrots for that cartload of potatoes, and so it was a barter system. Yep, and so money became like a central point where where we had uh, everything could be exchanged for a portion of this thing we called money, and so it became much easier for for commerce to happen. Hmm. Uh, so it allowed us to break out of the villages and go beyond yeah. our borders. Yeah. and then we got to the point where if you had like large amounts of money being carried around long distances, it would you were subject to raids. Um, like, like my um. Um, my ancestors were in the Dutch VOC uh, company, um, which is the first transnational. And like, this is like back in 1740, around there. And uh, there you've got the the um, um, th there you've got um, uh, instead of gold coins, so where the coin itself had gold in it, it was just minted out of copper. And so the VOC coins themselves were relatively worthless. Right. Right and yeah, and so like and say, yeah okay yeah but, but what it meant was you could they they couldn't be sort of targeted by pirates anymore <clears throat> right so so um, yeah and and so th then you had this um, system with set up by the Knights Templars where they actually um, uh, you could you could have a, an arrangement uh, with with noble houses over a long period of time where you, they'd write a promissory note and they'd mm -hmm. give it to a trader and they said sort of, go to this house at the other end of Christendom and give it to this particular house and then they will give you X amount of coins. 
right? And so, so you had the idea as a piece of paper was worth money. And so then, then um, uh, you, you had the idea of instead of a coin, you had a piece of paper. And in the paper, you had like a strip of metal, like, like uh, uh, there was supposed to be like a strip of uh, silver in a pound sterling. Right. 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 Um, and the US dollar was redeemable for um, um, precious metals at one stage. But then when the formation of the Federal Reserve, that all changed. Yeah. And so that, yeah. that might be a good place to go, actually. What do yeah. you think? Because, um, yeah, there's, so you have cash, which is the folding stuff and the clinking stuff. Yeah. You have yep. money, which is a medium of exchange. You have currency, which is a system for a medium of exchange. And then you have yep. what's called fiat currency. And it's got yep. nothing to do with the automobile. It's got <laughs> a fiat currency is a system for a medium of exchange by declaration or proclamation. So in other words, a government or any other body uh, which has authority gets to, gets comes together and says, okay, we are going to declare within our realm, this is the system for the medium of exchange. Thus, the Australian yeah. dollar, the euro, prior to the euro, the Dutch guilder, the Italian lira, the US, you know, and then in the US, the US dollar and so forth. That is that is fiat currency. But <clears throat> what I believe a lot of people don't understand is that with the exception of maybe three countries, there are, uh, uh, every country in the world doesn't own its own money. Mm, not anymore. He doesn't own his own currency anymore. Yeah, not anymore. Uh, not anymore. And the company, the, the currency, is owned by a company. Now, for everyone who's about to so you know throw a tinfoil hat label at this, um, don't bother. It's very simple. There is a thing called a central bank. Yeah. Correct. And in America, it's called the Federal Reserve. In Australia, it's called the Reserve Bank. In Europe, it's called the European Central Bank. And before that, they had all the various European countries had their own central banks. But the the, the reason I thought it might be interesting is for us to go into the Federal Reserve, specifically with the in the context of money, power, and influence, would be to look at why was the Federal Reserve why why was the Federal Reserve even created? Right? Yeah. Um, because I think this is this is something the majority of people, I believe, will not be aware of. And again, you don't need to. We're not trying to convince you of anything. Go out and do the research yourself. Just take the information and figure it and, and find it out. The information is out there. So yeah, and the the other one was fractional reserve banking. Yeah, where uh, th there was a time when you had like a pile of cash. And some of that cash was then given to some people and they went off and did something with it called a business and that made some more cash and they brought it back. Right. Okay. All right. Sounds, sounds all right. But this part where fractional reserve banking, where 90% of it can be loaned out, right, um, uh, without actually sort of keeping those reserves. Mm. And they use that. That That is now it's just numbers on a screen. Like they don't even bother printing stuff anymore. It's numbers on a screen, and so money is created out of thin air. Yep. When, when you go to a, when you go to a bank now and you get a loan to say buy a house, they don't give you a truckload of cash. They put some numbers into an account they make, and those numbers are drawn from an account that they have. But those numbers are allowed to expand. Right, so at that point, they're literally creating numbers out of thin air, and that's called money, the expansion of the money system. And according to the rules, that's fine. And everyone thinks as if it's fine, that's the way it's always been, you know. You know uh, but but we're in a hyperinflationary curve now. <clears throat> but it's, it's taking a long time. An exponential curve takes a long time to get to the hockey stick part. Yep. So, I'm going to say, I'm glad you mentioned fractional reserve banking because it is the it is the one of the root causes of many evils in yeah, the bank. You imagine the pitch meeting. You, you imagine the guys who sit down and, and, and say, sorry, how are we going to convince them to do this? You know, uh, we're going to get them to sign us, private individuals, the authority to create their money, and they lose control. Hmm. Hmm. <laughs> I suppose at the time, banking had become so esoteric that most people just didn't understand it. And those that did understand it were so uh, hopelessly dependent on that system being successful 
that they couldn't say anything. You know, Woodrow Wilson, when he when he actually uh, finally signed the Federal Reserve Act, um, he, he re later wrote in his diaries how, how much he regretted what he had done. There, there, were, there were many attempts to actually get the Federal Reserve Act up and running. It, it, yep. There were several. There was there was a, uh, an, an, several attempts on U.S. presidents in terms of assassination attempts. Uh, Andrew Jackson, for example, was was subject to an assassination attempt. Uh, yeah. Anyway, so yeah, hey, you're absolutely right. I mean, and, yeah. and by the way, let me let me just add. By the way, we, I know we're we're focusing <laughs> on the Federal Reserve in terms of being a central and, bank. Yeah. And yes. It's probably because it's it's the most more it's it's one of the more modern ones. It's it's the <clears> documented <throat> histories in, in, around because central banks existed in Europe before this, and indeed when um, I think it was Aldrich was the guy's name when he and his his companions, his cohorts were um, investigating this whole thing of how to do you know how to create a central bank. They're off in Europe spending hundreds of thousands of uh, taxpayer, US taxpayer dollars looking at central banking and understanding how we're mm. hundreds of thousands doesn't sound like a lot of money these days, but at the turn of the century, 1900, it's a hell of a lot. It is, yeah. And the, yeah, the fractional reserve banking is part of what created the crises to create the pretense to get the US to come along on a federal reserve system. Yes, uh, there was the 1907 panic and there was the 1905 panic. Hmm. And, and, uh, yeah, uh, I think 1905? Yeah. There, there, then, there's, there's a couple of them. Yeah. yeah. And, and if you go back to, I mean, and, you know, very well-respected names, J.P. Morgan, you know, John Pepper hmm. Morgan, right? J.P. Morgan at the centre of this whole thing in the, in the, in the late 1800s. Um, now, before the Central Bank, before the Federal Reserve, I know you know this, but a lot of people listening mm -hmm. won't. Before the Federal Reserve, um, J.P. Morgan contr either controlled directly or through influence controlled a great majority of the great number of the banks. And he would issue memorandums to the bank directors saying, you know, telling them what to do, creating yep. crises after crises after crises. For example, you know, um, these days you have central bank creating monetary policy and money and and and, and monetary um, and, and distribution of money in throughout the, the the economy but back then it was unregulated so he would say he would tell his banks to um withdraw for example we won the memorandums withdraw um, a third of you of your existing currency from circulation and call half your loans and when you do that what happens yeah bank run <laughs> Yeah. You create a shortage, yeah. I mean, you know, yeah. and the and and the fact you mentioned the the fractional reserve banking, a lot of people that maybe don't ask because you mentioned you, you you touched on that with a ninety percent. Just in case anyone hasn't watched this, there are, there's loads of videos out there about this, and indeed, watch episode eight, I think it was, where where Simon explains it so well. Ninety, if a bank, if the bank has no money today, and you put a million dollars in the bank, your number one, your client number one. You put a million dollars in the bank, that bank can lend $900,000 out. And that bank lends $900,000 to John, who goes and pays Jim for services, and Jim goes and puts his $900,000 in the bank. And the bank says, whoopee, I've got another $900,000. So, no, they don't, but yes, they do, because it's on a different account. Yeah. And now I go and lend out $810,000 to Steve, and Steve goes and pays Andy $810,000 for products and services. And Andy says, I'm going to put my $810,000 in the bank. The bank says, Whoopi, I've got another $810,000. No, you don't. <laughs> what do they yeah. do? There's another account. Yeah. And uh, one, yeah, one of the things that people have trouble understanding that is they say, oh, but but they, everyone uses different banks. Right, we're talking about different banks here. But, but the banking system mathematically uh, can be modeled as one entity and also financial in terms of ownership, like who owns these banks. Yeah. Uh, you, you look at who, um, you know, in terms of uh, shareholders and executive shareholders is all banks are actually owned by someone else. When you look at who those someone else is, you go back, say, th two and three levels of complexity of ownership, and you find that most banks are actually connected. Like the Australian banking system is, is heavily owned by the American banking system, in particular, the Bank of America. Right. And that's not advertised that's not that's not that well understood but but so 
when, when you when you sort of say like, uh, um, oh, but they're separate banks, and so well, not really. But also in terms of the amount of money in circulation, uh, you had a million dollars to start with, but now all of a sudden you've got ten million. Like, wh where the hell did that come from? Well, nine 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 million nine hundred ninety thousand. You know, it, it's just 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 below ten times. And so you think, well, I don't get it. <laughs> and it's so abstract that the mind is repelled. Yeah. You, you just can't, nah, it's not possible. <laughs> the, People think about banks a bit like Coca-Cola. Hmm. You have the Coca-Cola division. You have the Sprite division. You have the Fanta yeah. division. You have the, mm -hmm. whatever the mineral water division is, whatever it is. Yep. And each of them have their own budgetary responsibility and their own financials. And they're in competition with each other, honest. They, they are. <laughs> they certainly are. Right? They're all trying to sell each other. Out sell each other. But they all they all belong to the one company. Hmm. So you can think if you think a bit more abstractly, you'll get this really, really easily. So who control who controls money is not you know you it doesn't matter where you live unless you live in North Korea or Cuba or Iran. I think is the last one. Iran's the last one. Right. Yeah. Uh, and if you live in those three countries, cool, you've got no central bank. And actually, Russia has recently kicked the Rothschilds out, I believe you've said. You've yes, me, yes. Right? Uh, the, the, they've um, uh, paid off the debt owed to the central banks of the world associated with World War II. Uh, it was a major debt mm. that they've, been, they've, they've paid that off now. I think it was 2018. So um, all debt they now hold is with relatively um, modern uh, actions. Mm -hmm. Right, right, and and they, they're no longer beholden to the international banking cartel, right? So they, they, they own their own currencies, correct? I'm not sure if I go that far. Okay, I'm not sure, but they're not beholden in this. They're, they're not uh, beholden the same way, say, Greece is beholden. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, so Greece is just bending over like Greeks do. So no offense to the Greeks, but well. Um, they were also put in a position where uh, by the time, it was like a chess match, by the time the Greek people actually understood what was happening, they're screwed. Anyway, yeah. like, like what, what option did they have? Um, when they joined the European Union, all their gold reserves for the drachma was given to the European Union. And so it was all given away. They had nothing to actually start um, uh, there. And so while the people on the ground started to understand, they didn't understand the true difficulties that, that were faced with them and what was required of them. And so at the last minute, they all blinked because they didn't understand. Mm. And frankly, I, I, I challenge you to find a group of people in the Western world who do any different. Yeah, and, I, I agree. And actually, and, it's a good, a good point to bring up the Greeks right now. You know why? Because what people, I believe, around the world need to learn the lesson from what happened in Greece when, mm. when trust was lost in the financial system. Mm. You know, like... Trust in the financial system, I've, I've said it many times, trust in politics and, uh, sorry, in government and politics and, and the financial system is just not a form of Stockholm. But what happened when the Greeks lost trust in the financial system is the exact same thing that happened in the Great Depression. We'll come back to that because that was another issue with regard to central banks. They made, a run, they made a run on the bank, on the banks. And what the government did is they, it wasn't the banks who did it, the government stopped the run on the banks. They stopped mm. paying through the ATMs or through the banks. And so the reason I mentioned that is with regard to the current obvious push. It's been going for a while, but the <coughs> push to cashless society. Mm. And one of the key elements of a cashless society is there is no, because ca remember cash is the fault, like, you know, mm. Simon, you know, you know this, cash mm. is the folding and the chinking stuff. Yeah. Right? It's not money, it's just folding. So when there's a cashless society, there can be no run on the bank because no one needs to get cash out. If anyone loses faith in the in the financial system and they say, Oh, we don't trust you anymore. Give me my money. Yeah. The government and the bank say, Well, hey, you've got your app, your, your app on your smartphone. Yeah. Is is your money there? Yeah. What's your problem? Uh, well, what's coming behind that is that app just crashes. Yeah, totally. Oh, it doesn't work anymore. Oh, look at that. Mm. Uh, so what's interesting is here in Finland, uh, they're not quite a cashless society, but, you know, for about, you know, we very rarely handle cash. The only reason we handle cash 
is to get cash out on an ATM to pay my daughter pocket money. Yeah, that's it. <laughs> that's it. You know, you know uh, um, and and that's now, cool. and now we're not even doing that. We're just buying a game DS games for uh, for a little computer DS or computer games. Right. Uh, that, that that's the currency now. Yeah. Right. Right. And how many people have these debit cards for their kids? They just put the money on them. That's well, everyone, and and we're we're actually considering doing that now uh, uh, because it's easier. The whole society is geared for that. And what people don't understand, it is more convenient now. All this technology stuff is actually better and more convenient for humanity as long as the people in charge are there for our best interests, mm. right? But when they're not there for our best interests, um, uh, where we the uh, where, where we're going, I, I believe, is into an era of there's not enough to go around for one reason or another, mm -hmm. right? And so how does a large number of people get held in place by a small number of people to accept crushing poverty and food shortages, right? Especially when it becomes apparent that none of this needed to happen. Yeah. Right, right. So, so the only thing to say that these things are controlled, people say, oh, well, what for? You know, well... It's, uh, you know, these, these issues are, are rolling in now. Yeah. So, um, yes. Yeah, so, 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 opinion on that? Because otherwise I'm going to head on into – I was going to uh, just say – no, go on. Yeah, what, do you, what do you mean to – opinion on what? what, what on what? on, on um, you know, why, why cashless society, that sort of stuff. But we'll come, we'll come back to that. I was going to say it's – it's, it's, it's a control mechanism that allows – the people at the top of the food chain to maintain absolute control through a crisis, so they maintain a situation where, on the other side of the crisis, they stay in control. Yeah, and you know, and you know, the best crisis is one that you manufacture so that you can yeah. predict what's yeah. going to happen. Yeah. And I know a lot of people. Sorry, go. it's like controlling both sides of the chessboard, and yeah. and a cashless society in an era of hyper surveillance, where where all uh, everything is surveilled, all all. It, it is now openly recognised that we're in a surveillance society where all communications uh, are captured and monitored, and now openly censored on Facebook. And we've and we've got people that we know are lining up to support that in a cashless society where nothing is private, but we don't control anything at all. Both sides of the chessboard are controlled, not oh, by absolutely. us. <laughs> absolutely. And in the past, both sides of the chessboard used to be two different countries waging war, yeah. and the mm. same. Bank would be financing both. Um, the, the, these days, it's more you know lower level. What do you do? You know, as a as a uh, you know Joe on the Joe blogs on the street. What do you do? Your money's on an account. It's on your smartphone, and suddenly the government says, or someone says, "Sorry, your money's been taken yeah. away. It's not there." Who do you, who do you complain to? Who? Yeah. How do you get your money back? The answer is going to be bloody tough, bloody hard, especially when you factor yeah. in things like. The, the the Chinese system, which is already in place of social credit, which is going to be fully operational this year, maximum next year. Social Sesame credit. credit. Sesame yeah. credit, I think it's called. Yeah. Research yeah. if you haven't. And, sorry? Research it if you haven't. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I did a video on this one way back. It's got... It's called. It's 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 got different names. Sesame credit, but social credit system was what they were calling it at the time. And, and as I posited in that video... What do you do when social credit system <clears throat> all about, hey, how well do you behave in society publicly and privately, right, in your office, in the library, in the shopping centre, on public transport, on the phone, on your, on your phone, on internet or whatever, and that determines how well your credit score goes i mean you know we have a we have a we have a fiscal credit score right now which determines how well uh, you know what sort of terms we have with a loan social credit system determines everything from do we get to travel outside of our region do we get the best seats in the opera do we get a, you know what sort of rates do we get on hire cars what sort of education institution do our children go to where are we allowed to apply for a place to live you know what sort of place are we allowed to buy if they're allowed to buy it in, in china and so, so what, on yeah. yeah, and and this exists. Go and Google it, right? But what do you do when the social credit system turns into a fiat social currency? So remember, uh, money is a, a medium of exchange. Currency is a system for a medium of exchange, and fiat currency is a system for a medium of exchange by proclamation from, for example, a government. So what do you do when the 
social credit system turns into a social fiat currency or a fiat social currency? I'll just leave that question there because then, because the other thing that people throw at me is cryptocurrency. Yep. Cryptocurrency is going to be our savior. No, it's not. <laughs> yeah. The, the cryptocurrency is, it would have been okay if it was in a situation where it um, could be genuinely anonymous, mm. right? Um, but when you put all transactions up against the fact that um, everything we do, every transaction we make, every email we send, every phone call we make, and every purchase we make is all recorded, right? It's all recorded and it's all harvested and then, then shared no privacy yeah right so so um, it's encrypted it's all encrypted and it's all blocked i know i'm too and, 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 and then you go to the the tax end of things where every business that does business has got to for tax purposes explain where all all money comes from mm. all money over there and so uh, once that is done in a blockchain kind of way Mm -hmm. Right. Uh, uh, then there is a case of, you know, they can reverse engineer what you spent your money on. Right. And and so, so what what comes with this is a degradation of human rights. You know, yeah. we, 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 we think we have human rights. And but what's actually been happening for some time now is those rights have been eroding since about the late 1970s. Uh, but, but increasingly since the year 2001. Hmm. And I probably even, I, I personally, I go back a bit further, but yes. Yeah. But you know, 2001 was a flashpoint when things started openly happening. Absolutely. You know, and, and, and anyone who thinks that this, you know, this anyone who believes this story um, about some vague character in a basement, you know, with a Japanese sounding name, uh, drinking jolt cola, eating pizza, most likely, like programmers back in the 80s. Mm. Uh, you know, creating this code and then launching this fantastic cryptocurrency in their world, and it's just sort of being let go through. And you know, it's 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 so wonderful. You believe that? I've got a bridge you might want to buy, and it crosses the Hudson between the between Brooklyn and you and, and Manhattan. <laughs> Many a man's trying to sell it. Pro problem with um, the that is the timing. It just happened to appear just as the 2008 GFC was happening. Convenient. And everyone was saying, what the hell do we do to replace the dollar? Mm. And Pretty convenient, no one, right? Yeah. yeah. And, and, and no, no one knows. And, and, and still to this day, there is no functioning plan. Uh, yet they're talking about the SDRs, uh, strategic drawing rights, but, but that, that, that has been around for a long time too. It's like a... Like yeah. A, no, uh, yeah. It's, it's been around the, the idea of a group uh, um, global currency net problem is that sdr system is backed by us dollars and euros right so <laughs> now euros previously european currency yeah yeah so so um but yeah so so what what you've got is a situation where uh, it's a house of cards held together with chewing gum and positive thinking and as long as everyone agrees and has confidence in it it's okay but now we've got to the point where to pay off our debts and service our economy, our debt to GDP ratio is now higher than 90%. So it is now expanding. So each year we go further into debt. And people say, oh, no, 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 that's not possible. But but actually, each year we have indeed gone further into debt. And now, uh, and now we're at the point where we're adding um, something like a trillion US dollars a year uh, to the debt pile in the United States alone. But mm -hmm. every central bank around the world is doing the same thing. Right, so uh, we're actually in a high hyperinflationary spiral. Like, here's here's a good one for you. All U.S. dollars uh, in in circulation at the moment, right? And uh, when we when we when I saw this in July, twenty four point six percent had been created in the year twenty twenty, right? By November, I think it was November tenth or something like that, thirty five percent. So it went from twenty four point six to thirty five percent, an extra ten percent in a few weeks. Mm. Right, and, uh, <laughs> <laughs> and, and that's that's thanks to a little process that we discussed in in episode A called quantitative easing. Yeah, and now, so yeah, yeah, and so that that Federal Reserve now system is now responsible for keeping that afloat, and is now responsible for underwriting much of the United States 
real economy because everyone is in lockdown at the moment. And if they were going to do the free market thing and let nature take its course, a lot of that would just, just go out of business and just fall to bits. Yep. And so, uh, yeah, and so, so they've done the interventionist route which, which does mean that you know, you know, society still holds together, and you, you don't have these um, uh, really sort of devastating you know, eras of poverty. Uh, but what what does mean though that the system itself is destroyed, and that poverty is still coming. Yeah, it's just listen, it's just delaying the poverty. And uh, one, one, let, let's just pause for a moment because there's a bunch of stuff that we've covered, and it's maybe getting muddled, muddied yep. for a lot of people. Mm -hmm. um, Fractional reserve banking, 90% of what's in the bank, whatever comes back into the bank and back into the bank and back into the bank can be lent out. And you can just go and run your own spreadsheet on how how that works and it basically double, um, yeah, doubles the amount of money in, 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 in uh, sorry, um, doubles? No, it's uh, 100% on top, um, the amount of money in flow. But how does money get into the system? Well, at the central bank, the central uh, a government, for example, comes along and says, well, we need some extra money. And um, central bank, they say, well, okay, we'll hmm. give you some extra money. We'll give you another billion dollars, or as is the case these days, <laughs> the, the quantities are usually in the, in, in the vicinity of a trillion. We'll give you another trillion dollars and we'll charge you interest. And that's... <laughs> <laughs> Even if that's one percent, that trillion dollars is going to cost you one trillion ten billion dollars. So you're going to have to give us a, a promissory note. Remember what Simon talked about with regard to the Templars back in the day? They started with these, you know, these 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 pieces of paper, which were the um, predecessor of banknotes, uh, but also then the predecessor of so-called treasury notes, really, because they're worthless. And the government issues this treasury note. 10 years, two years, five years, 20 years, whatever the, the duration is, and it has an interest rate on it, maybe 1%, yeah. half percent, maybe 2%, whatever. Okay. So the, hmm. the, the government pr promises to pay back the central bank 1 billion and, for example, another ten, 1 trillion and another $10 billion. So where's the $10 billion come from? So you want because I'm going to. I say, oh well, you know, ta you're right. Taxes, your taxes. But an interesting little thing for you to look up, and this happens around the world. It's that you know the most documented one is the U.S. The uh, after the implementation of the Federal Reserve Act, we should actually get back to that because that's a whole interesting story, right? Mm. But after the introduction of the Federal Reserve Act, where the central bank was now issuing this money, this this currency, this money um, to to the U.S. government and expecting interest in return, the U.S. government didn't have a mechanism for it. And so, a few years later, the federal income tax law was implemented to cover yeah. the interest. Yeah. Let's 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 just briefly go back to the Federal Reserve Act because I think it's a great example of what's happening now. I mean, not so much what's happening now, but why it's happening now. And mm. a lot of people are confused about this whole thing because we're going to get to it shortly. Called the Great Reset. Ah, so, yes. Number of people who <laughs> never heard of it, right? And they say, "Yeah, but how could this happen?" You know. And one thing I want to encourage people to do is understand that this. Alleged left and right of politics doesn't exist. It's a it's a perception. Hmm. You know, there's there's there there is no real left and right. There is total government model and there is minimal government model. So they do different things, they right? They do things of the same plan. They they pass the ball back and forth from each other. Yeah, look at look at look at any look at any government around the world. When there's a left wing government, a so called left wing government in office, they move. The country to the left. Yeah. When there's a right-wing government in office, you'd think that they move them back to the right, but they don't. What they do at best is they keep them going down the same path, and sometimes they move them to the left even further. Hmm. Yeah. And they keep passing them, like I said, passing them back and forth. I mean, Nixon was a Republican, hmm. right? Right-wing, allegedly. And the Democrats of the days were like, we could never have passed as many, you know, liberal laws. 
liberal for those Australians amongst us don't mean right wing, it's liberal in America, that's left wing. We could never have passed as many liberal laws as Nixon passed. So why do I mention that? I know you're familiar with this, Simon. So, and you mentioned already with regard to pre, with regard to the Federal Reserve Act, but it all culminated around the time of Taft, who was a Republican, so-called right wing, and Taft knocked this thing on the head again. And so Aldridge, I think it was Aldridge, right? He goes to he goes to Wilson. He's Woodrow Wilson, a Democrat, with the same plan, the same legislation. And the banks who helped draft this whole thing, because they had that they had a meeting on um, uh, Jekyll Island just off Georgia prior to all this, to put the whole plan together. So the bankers get together with this guy, Aldrich, say, put this plan together for the Federal Reserve Act. Taft, a Republican, right, so-called right-wing president, knocks it on the head again. And they go to Wilson, the left-wing Democrat. But it's not enough. They have to stack the deck. And this is an example of what is happening now with regard to the so-called left and right of politics in the era of the Great Reset and Covidianism. There's no difference because what they did is they went and got Teddy Roosevelt. Teddy yeah, Roosevelt. So, so, right. So, so, so you, you have these interest groups that sit behind um, our, our politics. There was a time when democracy was real and elections meant something. And uh, yes, there was a difference in the parties, and the parties were a check on each other. Yeah. Right. But now we've got a situation where it's like we've got one government but two acting troops. And it's like you've got like you've got a layer of civil service that is not elected, not really sort of seen, uh, but even senior members of that civil service are drawn from the same pool of people, and they're not elected. And supposedly the elected officials tell them what to do, but actually <laughs> the elected officials, the face changes, but the civil service does not. Right? It, it's it, they, they, uh, the joke is it's the B team. We were here <laughs> before you arrived, and we'll be be here when you're gone. Yes. Uh, so, it's like yes, minister. Yeah. So, so, but, but in a deadly serious um, kind of way, they're not adhering to the public interest. They're actually adhering to a um, uh, the big end of town, the, the money end of town. And in, in fact, the actions of what nation states have been doing in the Anglo sphere, you know, United States, UK, Australia, New Zealand, is, is better modelled in terms of what they do, not what they say, what they do, is modelled like a group of, um, it's like an oligarchy uh, cartel, an organised crime cartel. Because the United States in particular has been operating with impunity that, that a lot of stuff they do is just not, just not legal. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, we don't care. And, and even if both, both foreign and domestic... Uh, the the um, there's a lot of stuff that's gone down that is irrational, and you think, well, what's happening here? And, and the, the net result is a small number of people are protected and favoured, and everyone else is drained. And so, you, so you know the, the wealth gap. You know the rich get richer, the poor get poorer. Uh, the, the current American uh, politics, uh, it it must be apparent to all now that that both sides of the aisle, um, you know, uh, are not in terms of what they do at the end of the day, are seeing to the interests of the big money end of town. And even the people who claim to be there for the people, you know, like AOC, for example, uh, <laughs> uh, all, 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 the, all the stuff that she sort of come up with, that, that's been sort of quite disruptive and everything. But what she actually votes on is she votes with the party line. Right, and so you know things like uh, um, Nancy Pelosi. You know, after fifty odd years in public service, you know she wasn't rich when she went in, but she's now literally a millionaire. You know, like a multi-millionaire. H how does that happen? <laughs> uh, you know, uh, um, when, when they're not supposed to be making money on the side. Clearly, <laughs> they haven't been following Trump's uh, practice of donating their salary. Trump's an anomaly in multiple respects. Um, and I, I think um, the way we've been presented what Trump actually is is not correct. Mm. The, the mainstream media is actually part of those interest groups. 
and everyone wants to get back to the situ uh, situation where they can just make more money. That that's all they want to know about. You know, and in in private, they don't want this spotlight uh, put on them. However, the world is changing. We've got our financial systems are now getting to the point where they're they're going to fragment to a million bits. Nothing can stop that. Uh, a, a credible case can be now made that peak oil was, in fact, November 2018, right? Um, and uh, the oil industry is going to struggle mightily to get back to that level. Because, and it's not that we've run out of oil. We've run out of money. <laughs> um, and, our, and our oil reserves are depleting at 5 to 7% a year um, underneath all the new drilling they're doing. And the new drilling just stops, right? Uh, so th th there is that. Um, and you printing money. Uh, huh? They keep printing money. Yeah, but they, they do. Um, they, just before COVID happened, nine out of 10 of, oh, uh, the United States tight oil sector had become the new Saudi Arabia. They were the swing producer that protected the rest of the industry. Right? Uh, now, just before COVID, in 2019, nine out of 10 operators were had a negative cash flow. And this is just before COVID. And then COVID happened. The price dropped. Everyone stopped using oil. There was an oil glut. And a lot of them just, just went out of business. And then, and for them to come back, the oil price has to be up around the you know, 70 to $80 a barrel for them to consider restarting their businesses. And that can't happen because the society at large is now carrying so much debt, we can't sustain the growth. Right? And so now you've got like between a rock and a hard place and something's got to break. Right. Uh, um, so that's the energy problem. The money problem is we're now in a hyperinflationary spiral where you know, if we can have such a large proportion of the money system that was created just this year alone, right, then... Uh, 35% um, you were saying, right? 35%. And that, but that was in November. I don't know what it is now. Uh, oh, you'd, have to, you'd have to uh, look it up. But, but, but what I would say is in six months' time, uh, that number is probably going to be over 50 to 60%. So, <clears throat> what 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 a lot of people need to get is this: when you have this quantitative easing going on, like thirty, like was it you? The, the China alone has um, printed thirty trillion dollars or something in uh, in in currency hmm. uh, or in money. Ones and zeros on the screen, and that goes into the banking system. Fractional reserve banking kicks in, and it becomes bigger and bigger and bigger. So the inflation is crazy. It'll never the debts will never be paid back. The government will never the governments will never be able to pay the debts back. Um, what happens? So then along comes Klaus Schwab, founder of the World Economic Forum, and starts talking about oh we need to reset capitalism. Yeah. Yeah. So what's what's I'm I'm in Europe at the moment, and I often will sit in these. Well, I haven't been to one for a year or two now. But I used to go to Brussels regularly and sit in the European Commission meetings where they would uh, not do any planning, but they, they would present to the H2020, which yeah. is like a big research platform. Um, and Horizon 2020 is the next one. And um, where they've got to uh, say this, what they're, and they're talking about you know, the development of what they call the smart city, where all information is collected on what we do and how, and it's put into one place and it's optimized to get the best uh, optimization of all, and, and it's 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 seen as this like a technological efficiency, mm -hmm. but but it's all based on the idea of the society is still growing, right? Uh, we're having more people, uh, more money come into the system, more resources. The whole system at large is growing, and it's just a way of just optimizing the efficiency, and they're, they're marketing it like a Star Trek like society is coming, isn't it? Wonderful, yeah, right. But behind all that, everything that they're actually saying is actually in line. Like it's been reworded in some research, but but uh, research agenda twenty one, mm -hmm. and now it's agenda twenty thirty, which was a long range plan uh, put to to basically um, change the nature of society, where that um, they want large tracts of land. Um, People remove large tracts of land. They say it's to actually so that so the, the land can recover environmentally. I'll come back to that in a minute because I actually found something about what they're actually going to do. Uh, humanity at large will be herded into these cities, which will be high tech, 
Mm-hmm. Right. And, and okay, it sounds okay. Yeah, that, that they, they're, they're openly marketing this like um, you will have no property. They're going to they're phase out the idea of property. You won't own anything. Mm-hmm. You'll have no privacy. Well, we have no privacy now, but, but we think we do. Right. Uh, but, but, and, and they said you'll never be happier. Right. The idea of a food shortage and uh, um, an economic crash and, and even the, the energy contraction has all been modeled years ago. They knew this particular situation was coming. In fact, a lot of my work shows it was, it was quite easily shown that, that at some point that this would, would happen. And, and, and it was even like a, within a narrow uh, um, bandwidth of, say, 10, 15 years. Right. And so, so they knew this was, was, was going to happen. Right. So, so now you're in a situation where hyper surveillance is happening you know, to, the, to the point of police state and all the negative connotations of that. We've now got poverty. Food shortages uh, are on the horizon and closing fast. Right. And now we've got an energy contraction as well. Right. So that system they're talking about is to actually manage a very difficult and problematic set of so yeah, oh, uh, uh, food shortages. We all must go without and pull together and yeah, right. Mm-hmm. So, so it's, it's, you, you've got this, this thing where to manage a future that has a lot of difficulties to it. Now, oh, so, so, so saying before, the whole idea of a cashless society is people will have no choice. You know, uh, their money comes uh, um, from an employer, okay, but it's put into a bank, uh, and that bank will then be subject to regulation. For example, um, Goldman Sachs, uh, I just tried to find the article, I can't, can't find it, but recently it appeared on blacklisted news, but Goldman Sachs actually said that they've got a new system of granting credit you know, loans that will look at your search history on the web, right? And if if you've actually looked at websites that their fact checkers deem as problematic, you won't be given a loan. That's the Chinese Sesame Credit system being rolled out, <laughs> but under a, under a different. And again, you you're kidding, right? <laughs> so, uh, and so <clears throat> yeah, so so we we've got the the idea of the Great Reset where. Um, People at the top of the food chain want to stay at the top of the food chain. They've already got so much money. It, it's all about how do they maintain their position of power, right? So they know this difficult window is coming. How do they manage things where the, the great unwashed masses don't turn on them and they still have their position of power on the other side of this crisis or in the next stable phase, whatever that is? And this was their idea, right? And so we've been talking to – yeah, and, and there are things like – um. All the uh, like when September 11 happened, the Twin Tower attacks. They go, oh, okay. Uh, two things happened. First, uh, a whole series of unethical resource wars, wars kicked off. A lot of them based around energy, right? But uh, how how do, how do you convince a democracy to engage in unethical resource wars without using the words peak oil? Right uh, here we go. Herman Goering told us this. Yeah. Yeah. Now. Yeah. So <laughs> good old good old Herman. Right. Um, then, then, then the second thing that happened was the start of the police state kicked off, you know, the surveillance state and all the legal laws that are associated with that. And it started out saying, we are trying to track foreign terrorists from a particular part of the world. And that, that part of the world is, is, is largely defenseless because they don't have the same technological or economic clout because the house things have worked out o- over time. So they've got no choice but to... You know, wear this label that's been applied to them, and we all just go along with it. Yeah, righto. Um, but very quickly, we forgot about the foreign terrorists, and the domestic terrorists became the focus. So people like you and me now became the focus, right? And so the implication is we are going to become the problem, right? And, and so all the surveillance state has now been put together. Now, when you we get go to waste, hey. It'd be a shame to let all that surveillance state go to waste. <laughs> yeah, well, it's it's taken such a long time to put together. That I I don't think for a moment it's it's um it, it's taken such a long time to put together that 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 um and a lot of effort. It, it takes years of planning. It's not just like a, a knee jerk reaction at all. So all of this sort of stuff that's actually we've been coming here has taken a long time to put together. Research Agenda Twenty One which is now Agenda 2030, and, and, and then reference that against what the Great Reset is now suggesting. 
Uh, and when they said, we're going to reset capitalism, said, okay. So the idea of capitalism is based on growth. And once we enter into a contracting energy system, it's going to be very difficult uh, uh, from a biology point of view, for example, the complexity of a system is defined by the energy that's put into it, its size and its complexity. You remove some of the energy, the system has to get smaller and less complex. That's just you know the way it is in terms of net biology networks. Right. Human society and industrial networks are the same. Right. So if we cannot solve the energy problem, where you know oil's the most calorically dense energy source, and all the new electrical systems like electric vehicles and, and what have you don't have a high enough energy return on energy invested system to outperform oil. Right, right. It's just it's it's going to be very expensive and uh, very costly, and a lot of the infrastructure required for it just hasn't been made yet. And and in fact, the information I'm pulling together is showing that we probably won't even have the minerals to do it when the time comes. Right. So so it's going to be very easy just to dismiss all that. Right. Uh, so so if we don't have if we don't solve the energy problem then we're now in a contracting system. How does, for example, a corporation survive where instead of, to, a corporation's got to survive on something like 5 to 10% profit each year. Mm -hmm. each, and it's, it's something like that. It was 10%, I don't know what it is now. But, but how does a corporation survive when it can't do that and it shows a loss, a net loss each year? Especially when they're dependent on, on uh, creditors and debtors and investors. Who all mm. want their money to grow, not shrink? Mm, it doesn't. Is the answer right. right? So, so we are grading into a system that we haven't seen before, and uh, in, and in fact, uh, um, James Howard Kunstler wrote the book The Long Emergency. And that's kind of how I see things at the moment. Is it's going to be one damn thing after another mm. until the system stabilizes into whatever the new system is. Right, and so so there's going to be winners and grinners, and how do we put ourselves in? A, how does the people who are organising the Great Reset is how do we put themselves in a situation where they are still at the top of the food chain, they're still respected as the authority, and they still have the power, and everyone else knows their place. So, right, so uh, yeah, that's that's that's. The big problem, and I tell you what, um, I saw a, a, a post from a mate of mine out of the UK. Uh, quick shout out to Lyndon, um, you know, who you are, mate. And he, he said something, and he was absolutely right, you know, because people keep asking, What can I do against this great reset? And, and by the way, everybody, I realize we've covered off on a whole bunch of stuff, and we're going to come back and we're going to dive deeper into each area and expand on, on, on a whole bunch of stuff and new areas we haven't covered today. But people say, Hey, how can we? How can we combat this great reset? Because a lot of people are starting to hear about it. It's like, well, what do you do? It just sounds so, so fatal and so you know, fatalistic and whatever. There's just nothing you can do as an ordinary person. And the advice Lyndon had, and he's right, is not simply bank money, but start getting, gaining or gathering assets. Because part of the great reset is, um, forgiveness of personal debt for the renunciation of personal assets. And I, I actually personally believe that's going to come to a sovereign level as well, forgiveness of sovereign debt for the renunciation of sovereign assets as a, as a final one of the, the later phases. But how can you, inter, you know, Sun Tzu says that the greatest way to battle, win a battle is or win a war is to attack strategy. That's the first level of, of winning a war is attack strategy. If you want to attack strategy, you have to, the one of the key strategies here is you'll own nothing, but you'll be happier. Well, screw you. I'm going to own everything I can. What happens when the majority of the public go out and start owning stuff outright, unlet, not leveraged? In other words, not, no mortgage, no whatever, but they start investing in stuff they can own outright. What's, what's, your, what's your take on that? See, I don't know how the legality of... You, 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 take a look at how the Chinese system operates. That's, that's probably, you know, they've openly discussed, but that, that's a good model to emulate. Yes, they have. Right, right. right. So if you happen to own assets that are valuable, 
right? How do you keep them? How do you legally yeah. keep them? Yeah. If you, uh, the, the most important thing for me is actually not assets. It's it's actually what's inside your, between your ears and in your heart and in your hands, right? Mm -hmm. So, so uh, uh, become flexible. Understand that the world is changing. Don't be too attached to any of the old structures. You know, people will defend them, defend the old way of thinking bitterly to the bitter end. Yeah, forget be, that. Be flexible, and understand that the world is changing. Right, and and, and uh, develop the ability to learn and problem solve in a new environment. Right, that that's perhaps the best um, way way forward. If you happen to have assets at the moment, lots of money, get them out of the stock market for a start, mm. get them out of you know, treasury bills or, or anything like that, and, and convert them to um, assets that, again, you own outright and you know, shift all debt. Mm. Get out of the debt profile. Um, you, you're better off having a small asset pie that is not debt-related at all. Yep. And and you, you're better off having one small house that you own outright than five houses that you mostly own. Like yep. if, if you, for example, have a mortgage where you've paid off, you, you've only got like you know, ten or fifteen percent of the mortgage of the mortgage left to pay. That's still too much. That's still enough for them to actually sort of, They won't come after you first. But what happened in the Great Depression was for banks themselves to survive because the banks had to undergo through an, uh, an evolution as well, is uh, they would say things like, the value of your property has now dropped by blah, 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 blah. Uh, and they did this in 2008 too. And you, you'd get like a letter in the mail and it says, your value of your house has dropped by $50,000. Um, you will now pay $25,000 in the next 10 days or we're just going to recoup your house. Yeah, and because under, under Basel, the banks created their own protocols. It's in the fine print of what you signed. And, you go, and, and this is the crazy thing: the self-regulation of the bank, self-regulation of the banks under Basel was initially Basel two, then Basel three. Eighty percent maximum loan to debt, and anything yeah. less, you're absolutely right. They they reduce them. That's exactly what happened in two thousand eight, and it can yeah. happen again. So no leverage. Do not have everything anything leveraged. And like yeah. I think you're saying as well, and you're absolutely right. There is. The more portable the asset, so yeah. gold, bars, silver, whatever, the more portable the asset, be it a business, because it could be a portable mm -hmm. business as well, yeah. but the more portable the asset, the easier it'll be to, to combat this. Because one of the things I'm concerned about is this. So even if you own your house outright, yeah. let's take you know, my parents or anyone's parents, right? They own their house outright or I own my house outright. When it comes, when, when when my day comes to pass and I kick the bucket and I want to pass it on, even if I have the cleverest structure, the same as the, you know, the Rockefellers or whoever else, I guarantee you that they will find a way to tax that to such an extent that the beneficiaries of your asset, your house, will be lumbered with so much tax They'll have no choice but to sell it back to the state or whoever the organization is. And you will own it. You know, so you may get to live in your house yeah. for as long as you're alive, but your 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 offspring and your grandchildren definitely won't get to benefit from it. The mood, the mood's gonna change. And go I can see a situation where governments lose their tax based revenue and they'll be in survival mode too. And anyone or anything in survival mode tends to turn nasty. Mm. Right. And and so they'll do things that you, you you just shake your head and say, how is this allowed? How is this even possible? And and that's why you often sort of see uh, like the organizations like Centrelink at the moment and on Social Security, they've run out of money, right? Which is which is why you, you see them sort of uh, behaving in a way, uh, interacting with, in a way with the people who actually sort of need need the help at all. Um, it, it's very difficult um, to do, to do business with them. And it, it, it's very sort of, you know, it, it, it's quite upsetting. And that's, that's why. And, and so, yeah, the other problem is too, is gold and silver. Let's say you had gold and silver. There's no guarantees you can exchange it for anything valuable in an mm. environment like that or in the system that's coming. So there is no easy answers here. There is no sort of easy you know, smoking gun answers. That's why I say is learn to develop flexibility. Learn to learn and problem solve in a shifting environment where the rules around you are going to change, yeah, and that 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 is 
perhaps the best uh, uh, defensive. And and if you're rich now, there's no guarantees you're going to stay rich. <laughs> right? And if you're poor now, the, the, the future says, oh, you're going to be poor again. But what if the rules changed? And if you thought differently and you're poor now, but in the new system that's coming because you did things differently, you're not poor anymore in the new system. Mm. Right? Because the, the system we want to bring in, the great... Say again? I reckon a lot of people who are, you know, breadline sort of situation yeah. with the right mindset going forward and not, and that's not being, that is not, I'm not saying have a mindset of, oh, bow down and, and, and accept everything. No, 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 no. Yeah. Not. But with the right mindset, those who have nothing right now could actually benefit from what's about to come because those who have a whole bunch of stuff don't a lot of them I, I talk to don't see this coming. They can't see it happening. Yeah. So so I, I, I see the what we call the great reset. They're going to roll it out and I don't think it's going to work. It's not going to go to plan and we're going to see some creative destruction of that system. And um, you've got the underlying limitations of energy contraction as well. But in that environment, a new system's going to form and a new kind of thinking is going to take hold and that will flourish. Now what that is we won't know till we get there. But yeah. the great reset is 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 the plan, and it's coming. But I don't think it's going to work because everything else they've been that that group of people has tried to do since two thousand and eight has not worked. So it, it it it'll it'll roll out, it'll be messy, but it's going to fall apart on them. What yeah. happens next? That's when that new kind of thinking will then create the new world. And if you're wondering <laughs> where Simon said. <laughs> That group since 2008, if you're wondering who that group is and what they've been doing, we'll come back to that in the next episode. There's the, there's the teaser to come on back and listen again. <laughs> there's so much for us to cover here, mate. Um, yeah. we, we, can't, we can't do it justice in one episode and one hour. This is going to take us coming back again. There's so many things we haven't even brought back together, but I hope what people are getting from this is a little bit better than a broad understanding of what's about to happen and a broader and a little bit better than a broad understanding of why it's happened. And I know you have so much knowledge in this area. And um, although I have a degree of knowledge, I'm compared to you, I'm playing catch up. So thank you for everything you do there. Um, oh yeah. I, I, it's, it's strange to hear you say that. I suppose I've just been charging off like a freight train after several topics. And this is all the stuff that's happened along the way. I, haven't really sort of thought about, you know, how it compared to say everyone else. No, mate. Listen, I think I think most people are going to be like, holy. I I think the most people are getting you know, getting a wake up call from this. A lot of it, a lot of a lot of people will have heard some of it. Uh, the greater majority of it will put together not. But there's a whole lot more. There is a whole lot more to come. We are going to come back and we're going to talk uh, more about how money came about and 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 the intricacies of how influence happens, how influence and power happens as a result of where money flows to and from um, because there's so much to be discussed there and I know you know about that. We're going to talk about in relation to the energy resources in the world and the different markets and the indices that have, have, have been occurring over the recent times and how these have been markers for what's about to come and what has happened, which just, Go unnoticed by the general population. We're going to go. We're going to look at patterns. You know, a lot of people say, "Oh, you know, human life is not. There is no pattern to life. Chaos theory has no pattern." But actually, if you look at the, if you look at chaos theory and you look at the study of chaos theory, there is a pattern. You just have to stand far enough back to be able to see it. And I know that we can. We're, we're going to cover off on that. Maybe will you? Uh, you'd be happy to come back, let's say next week, and and. Uh, yeah, and what we'll do is we'll probably broadcast out to everybody what we're going to think, the things we're going to talk about first. If anyone has stuff they want us to talk about or go deeper into off this, please let us know. And we will because there's a lot to be covered. We're going to try, we're going to do our best to keep it global and zero in on different countries, but we're going to do our best to keep it global because this is a global problem. And a uh, global yeah. The work I'm doing at the moment, I'm doing a series of simulations of what it would take to phase out fossil fuels. That's the work I'm doing at the moment. And you do a global system first, and then a European system second, 
a United States system third and a Chinese system fourth. Right? Where is and that, it right? And that, that's, how, that's how it's structured. And that's how you got to look at this. You look yeah. at the global system first, then the major players. Right. <clears throat> and so little, little people like Australia just don't even factor in. We're too small. Yeah. No, seriously, you're too small. How, how, many, how many of the computers that you operate and all the electronic stuff that's in your home that was manufactured in Australia? Yeah, none. But uh, Yeah, right. So, so we're in a system that where everyone's dependent on everyone else and the larger markets dictate what happened elsewhere. And what happens in Australia was dictated by the British Isles, then it was dictated by the United States, and now it's dictated by the Chinese. Yep. Right? So you're too small. Yep. And no, you, and and all the resources you've got on the ground in in terms of agriculture and mining, they're not ours anymore. We've given them away. We've sold them. We have, unfortunately, and we've we've we've. And this is something else we'll cover off in future episodes. Future episodes in this series. Not only have we given that, you know, in, and this is not just about Australia. Look in your own country. If you're in, if you're in a European country, in America, or you know, one of the uh, Canada or wherever. Look at your own country, you'll see the same pattern dating back to mid-70s and beyond that. Not only have we given away our resource, the ownership of our resources, we've given away our industry to exploit those resources. And we've yeah. done it in a way which favours those countries which we've then supported to, right. you know, to, to build up the new industry. And that was all done, you know, you may not want to know this, you may not want to believe this, but the documentation's out there. This so, was done by design. So have a look where what, what the United States system is doing as it phases out and have a look what the Chinese system is doing as it phases in. And Australia is between those two goalposts. Yep, absolutely. And then and then, uh, uh, just a document we will come back to, Lima Declaration 1975. I'll leave that one there for you to look up before we go into it because that and a number of other international agreements established some really interesting faces for discussions about why we are where we are. Mate, um, awesome. Thank you so much. What um, If we can leave people on one... <laughs> On an upbeat note, what is it we can say to people to give them some degree? I, you know, I always say hope is a poor man's gambling addiction, so let's not leave them with hope. Let's leave them with something concrete that they can think about of what you've already said. Everyone should try thinking for themselves at least once. Now would be a good time. Perfect. Couldn't agree more. All right. Thank you, Simon. Thanks so much for being here, mate. We're going to be back here next week, everybody. Uh, leave comments wherever you're seeing this. Thank you very much for uh, for watching, and uh, especially so long. These these episodes could be a lot longer. We're trying to try and keep them as short as we can so that we can make them consumable. Look forward to seeing you again next week, um, same place, same time. And um, in the meantime, get out and get get educated on what's happening now, and start like Simon said, start thinking for yourself at least once. Have a great day. See you guys.